Alright, in this episode, uh, sort of a brief two-parter, but I'm getting excited for college football. It's back this weekend. I've thought about it. I got my final four and a couple other conference realignment thoughts. And then at the later portion of this episode, Ahsoka premiered this week, the newest Star Wars show on Disney+. And I wasn't going to talk about it. I was just going to watch it and enjoy it and hope that it was great. Take it for what it was. But holy smokes, I watched the first two episodes and I had a few thoughts. So they're coming up. It's all coming up. That's this episode. Here we go. Okay, thing one on my mind tonight. For those who are unaware, or for those who think that it isn't happening this weekend, college football's back, okay? Uh, This Saturday, we've got our first slate of games, and in general, they suck. It's not a good week of college football. Uh, I have a team that I root for that is playing, and I will fully admit that this week's slate of games are not great, to say the least. But nonetheless, college football is back real football games being played and we get to enjoy that we get to watch that this weekend i'll be tuning in at 2 30 watching the irish from ireland uh, playing in dublin against navy and i will be uh, probably teasing down that 21 point spread for the irish it's been a uh, a long summer of rumors with realignment And I've heard so many different perspectives on that and what we think will happen and what conferences will look like and how certain conferences are dying, Pac-12, and how different conferences will mold and the degrading of college football in general. I don't know how old I was when the Big East sort of dissolved from what it was primarily as a basketball conference. But I think it was at that time that I stopped caring about conferences. I've never been a homer in the sense that when I attended Clemson, okay, they play in the ACC. They won the ACC a bunch. Great, cool. That's the conference they're in. It's always cool to win your conference. Dabo will tell you this much. But between them and Notre Dame not even having a conference, they're not in the ACC. They can pretend and shoot that crap uh, all they want, but they're not, they're not in the ACC. Uh, they've always been independent as long as I can remember watching Notre Dame. So this idea that conferences matter, like, do they? Are we sure they do? Are we sure they have for a while now? Yes, the SEC is top dog in football. Yes, the ACC is generally terrific in basketball. Yes, the SEC competes nationally in baseball as well as the Pac-12 had. But... These conferences, we're, we're, we've sort of for years not had the, I don't know, it feels like we've lost some of the luster in the conferences, and especially in the last few years with all the movement. But then going back a decade or so, it's almost like the writing was on the wall that this was coming. And it just, again, I, I think when the Big East sort of fell apart as a basketball conference, that to me was the moment when... I don't really care about conferences anymore. Um, so we'll we'll see how long it takes for Cal and Stanford to join the ACC. We'll see how long it takes for the Pac-4 to become its own whatever conference 
and you know we'll have all these teams joining the SEC and Big Ten over the next year. But money's running college football right now, and I'm not sure I'm in the same boat as everybody else in terms of being absolutely up in arms about the dissolving of these conferences. So that's sort of thought one with college football. Thought two, with college football starting, the playoff is coming. So I sat down uh, yesterday and I pulled out the AP Top 25 going into the season. And I started breaking down basically the top 15 teams and their games. And if you haven't looked at Georgia's schedule and you need a laugh, go check out who the dogs got this fall. Uh, if you are unhappy with Georgia, you're going to be more so unhappy because they're going to the playoff. They're going to go 12-0. and It's a matter of do they win in the SEC championship. Also, who cares? They're going to the playoff uh, because they will dominate all season long the next three and a half months. So when we're starting to look ahead to the playoff and figure out our four teams, Georgia's won. Uh, then you go to number two right now is Michigan. So Michigan's schedule this year, we're going at Penn, at Penn State. Weird, I'm not Michigan. Michigan's going to Penn State, going to Happy Valley, and they'll play Ohio State at home. That's kind of it. That's how their schedule boils down. So they got two premier games. I'm going to guess they win at Penn State. They they play that Jim Harbaugh type of ball. They're going to bruise you uh, both defensively and then especially on the offensive line trying to get that run game going and they looked pretty competent last season uh, with J.J. McCarthy under center so I'm going to go with Michigan being a pretty potent out this year and I think they win against Ohio State I think Ryan Day has certainly struggled in recent years trying to get that win against the Wolverines Jim Harbaugh seems to be in the lead a little bit right now and that game is uh, in the big house. So I think Michigan probably wins that, which means that we could probably eliminate Ohio State from the conversation. Ohio State coming in number three right now on the AP poll, and they'll play at Notre Dame. They'll play Penn State at home. They'll play at Wisconsin, and then they'll play at Michigan. I'm going to go with they're losing two of those. I'm thinking they're probably going to lose at Notre Dame, and they're I think, probably going to lose at Michigan. Who knows if they beat Penn State? Probably. But it's not going to matter. A two-loss Ohio State team with a loss to Michigan, I don't think is making the playoff. So we'll go ahead and count Michigan as our second playoff team here. Number four this this uh, point in the season is Alabama. And, I mean, I guess their two biggest games, as we look at it now, are at AM, who was 5-7 and seven last year. Uh, so we're not going to call that a quality win for the Tide, uh, assuming they do win that one. And then LSU. And that one's at home. We're going to go ahead and assume that Alabama loses to LSU this year. There's something with Brian Kelly in year two, some stat that I'd, I'd heard or read, took in at some point, where year two for Brian Kelly is always the uptick year, whether you're going back to Central Michigan, going back to Notre Dame, that's the year where he really takes the program and molds it as he wants it and pushes them to the next level. And at LSU, it certainly seems like he's capable of that this season. 
He's got the quarterback. He's got the prestige at a at a traditional powerhouse like LSU. So I think LSU is to be trifled with this year. And I think they beat Bama. I think Bama's going to have a little bit of a reckoning this year with the fact that they maybe still aren't 100% all in on their quarterback. Had to bring in Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame. I think Tommy Reese is a great addition for Alabama. He's certainly a loss for Notre Dame, but I'll talk about them in a minute. So I think Bama actually slips this year. Their, their receiver play has not been what it was even at the end of the last decade. Uh, Bryce Young certainly kept them afloat the last few years. So I think Bama slips a little, and LSU is right there to snatch that spot in the SEC West from them in the SEC West championship game. And then if we're looking at LSU, Georgia, SEC championship game, it doesn't matter who loses that. Uh, We've known that the SEC's got a prominence that no other conference can match right now. And so if those two play in the championship, one's 12-0, one's 11-1, what's the difference? They're both in the playoff. The rest of LSU's schedule is easy also. It looks pretty, pretty simple for the Tigers. All right, number six. Uh, Southern Cal currently, they go play at Prime in Colorado. They'll win that. They do play at Notre Dame. So Notre Dame's there lurking again for Southern Cal, uh, just as they were for Ohio State. And I think that game proves tricky for the Trojans. They're also going to Oregon. I don't think they come away with two wins out of those two games, uh, Southern Cal. I don't know that they come away with one win out of those two games. So I'm going to skip past SC as I'm looking to fill my playoff with that fourth spot. Number seven, Penn State. They play at Ohio State, and they play Michigan. They're going to lose one, if not both of those. Uh, We're going to go with their out. Number eight, Florida State. So they're playing the LSU team. And they're playing at Clemson. Uh, Kind of the same argument here as it was for Penn State. They're going to lose one, if not both of those two. If I'm riding with LSU, that means I'm knocking down Florida State a little bit here. I think Florida State's out. Sorry, Seminoles, not. You get to number nine, Clemson. I talked about it when he was hired a few months back. I think Garrett Riley is a unbelievably fantastic addition for the Tigers. I think he's a breath of fresh air. I think he's a heel turn from what they were at the offensive uh, on offense last year. And I think he could do wonders with Cade Klubnik, who I think certainly didn't play as much as he should have last year. And his potential was not maybe met for that reason. Maybe just didn't have the reps. Wasn't as confident back there. There was DJU lurking, no matter whether he was starting or coming in. I think this is a big year, a big opportunity for Cade and for Garrett Riley. Uh, so much so that I really, really contemplated putting Clemson in the playoff. I think if you consider the losses that SC could endure, the losses that Penn State almost assuredly will see, the losses that Florida State will take, I think it's very easy to envision Clemson sliding up from the preseason nine ranking in the AP poll up to that 5-4 spot and just lingering. They're going to play Notre Dame at home, like I said. They're going to play Florida State. They're going to play North Carolina and Sam Howell. They're going to get some really excellent opportunities to win and to make their mark in the standings. 
But I actually think there's a team farther down I'll get to that uh, that I I don't know, maybe. Anyway, we're going to keep going. Number 10, Washington. Uh, Southern Cal's ahead of them. Sorry, I don't buy Washington. Although Michael Penix is going to be somebody to watch this year for sure. Uh, number 11, Texas. No, they're not back. So here we are. We're down to number 13, and we've reached the Fighting Irish Notre Dame. Yeah, it's a big old stinking homer pick for me. I don't care. Notre Dame is playing at North Carolina State. They're going to play Ohio State. They're going to play Southern Cal, and they're going to travel to Clemson. By the end of the year, I envision that North Carolina State could feasibly be ranked. Ohio State's number three right now. South Southern Cal is uh, number six right now. Clemson's number nine right now. Those are four excellent opponents for the Irish just going into the season. That's a third of the schedule is high-quality opponents. Let's say Notre Dame wins against NC State, likely. Let's say they beat Ohio State at home. Well, that's a team that immediately cracks the top ten. Uh, let's say they beat Southern Cal. That's a team that's just beaten the reigning Heisman winner. I think they they uh, bump up even more. And then if they were to win at Clemson on November 4th, I don't think that's out of the question. I don't know that I would go to Vegas and bet on that. But if the Irish were to beat Clemson in Death Valley, I think that's already been announced as a night game. So believe me, I've been there for night games in Death Valley. It is not easy to come in there and win. But if Notre Dame could do that, I think that's our fourth playoff team. I don't know if I want to say that they are the fourth playoff team. I'm real undecided on Clemson and Notre Dame, which is about as homeristic as I can get. But I think that November 4th game in Death Valley is going to play a massive role in determining who the fourth playoff team is this fall. I think if I had to squirt gun to my head, decide between the two, I'd probably go Notre Dame. I like what Marcus Freeman has built. I think Notre Dame slept walk through the beginning of the year last season. Their offensive line is always terrific. Stout, intelligent dudes. I think Audric Estime is a Heisman contender for the Irish at running back. And Sam Hartman ain't, ain't no joke under center either. He's going to come in and immediately turn the Irish into something that they haven't been in years at the quarterback position. Not with Buckner. Not with Ian Book you got to go back a ways to find a quarterback this talented at Notre Dame. They've got playmakers at receiver. They've got some dudes on defense. The defense was solid last year. And again, I, I believe in what Marcus Freeman is building. So I think I think I could probably lock that in. Clemson people are going to be happy, but whatever. Uh, four playoff teams. I think we're going to get Georgia, Michigan, LSU. And then right now, I lean Notre Dame. Okay, I had to take a minute here to talk about Ahsoka, this new Disney Plus Star Wars show. The first word that comes to mind with Ahsoka is that this show is groundbreaking. There was Andor, and its gritty, grounded ethos. It was a it was a new type of show for Star Wars in a new landscape of Star Wars television that seems to be where Lucasfilm and Disney, uh, it's kind of their wheelhouse. This is kind of where they want to be right now. 
because we certainly haven't seen a movie in several years, and the last one that came out was uh, good, not great, could be argued as questionable. And the whole sequel trilogy had its detractors. So you've got this new show, Ahsoka, and they pump out the first two episodes this week. And these episodes are an extension of that Andor vibe, that ideal, that that concept that went into the idea of Andor uh, on top of something else that I think is, is the bigger thing going on there. What they're proving at Star Wars and Disney is that the Star Wars universe, extended universe, galaxy, whatever, no longer needs to stay confined to the anthology of the movies. They don't need the movies. The movies are something that came out in 19, the 1970s. They were a huge hit. They were a phenomenon. People flocked to the theaters. And that transcended through to the early 80s. And then we had the early 2000s, and it, and it sort of brought back that pathos that people had for Star Wars uh, at an earlier point in time. And then we tried again in the 2010s, and, and it's almost like we have so much stuff to pick from these days with streaming services and things that aren't necessarily the movie theater that it, it doesn't seem like Star Wars as a movie property it's not the same as it was way back when. And it almost seems like the guys running the show here now for Lucasfilm understand that. Uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni uh, are kind of where I feel like Kevin Feige was at Marvel about a decade ago, where it was basically, hey, here's here's the kingdom. Do whatever you want. You got the keys. Go for it. We trust in you. And these guys know what they're doing. It started with the creation of this animated universe, which brings me back to my initial point, and in that this show Ahsoka is groundbreaking because it takes what was recorded in an animated universe based on live-action films, and now we're reintroducing the idea of live-action, not in the form of movies, though, but in the form of, of television. So we've gone from live-action movie to animated TV to live-action TV. What they're capturing is the, the characters underneath the outer whatever appearance they might look like. So we get Ahsoka, and she's got the, the, the head thing going on. I'm not the world's biggest Star Wars fan, but whatever she's got going on, that's not what matters in the, in the show. What matters is what's going on in her head, and it comes through terrifically uh, via the way of Rosaria Dawson's acting, but that it's the same for every character. It's, it was the same in Andor. You watched what's going on in these characters' uh, faces, and there's so much going on beneath the surface within the show. So in the second episode of Ahsoka this week, Morgan Elsbeth even mentions their galaxy before introducing another. What Dave Filoni and John Favreau have set up is they're not going to a galaxy far, far, far away. 
they're able to play with so much based off of the stuff that they created, based off the original movies, and it's it's tremendously unique, and it's really cool. I said I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan in the world. I know some pretty big ones, but it's not me. What I'm finding happening is I didn't watch all of the animated stuff. I haven't seen all of it. But I'm finding as I watch the live action stuff, I'm intrigued to the point where I'm looking back at the animated canon to figure out what have I missed? Who's that? Why is that name important? And what Star Wars is doing is they're, they've basically created what superhero universe has in the comics where they've made such a such a wide range of information that it gives them so many different angles to take so many different paths to go down and these first two episodes of Ahsoka have been uh, very very good and if they continue to keep with this intentionality and focus in some of these live action shows. I mean, we really saw it with the first season of The Mandalorian. We saw it with Andor. We're now seeing it with Ahsoka. The ceiling is so high for where Lucasfilm can go, not on the big screen, but actually on the small screen and with Disney Plus. And while Disney Plus has its issues at the moment, Star Wars is certainly not going to save it from itself. But as Huang said, uh, one of the robot characters in the second episode of Ahsoka, uh, the past is the past. you got to move forward. And it seems like Star Wars is doing just that right now.